this week as I was working on this message, I was thinking about questions, you know, because we're in this, this question mark series, and I wanted to know the why questions, right? So what are the most popular questions that start with, with why? And so I went on Google, and of course they keep a lot of data, and, and so I found the top five why questions according to Google searches, all right? So I'm going to share those with you this morning. Here's the first one. Why is there a leap year? It's legit, right? You've had that question before. You've tried to figure it out. You've probably Googled that. Here's the second one. Why is the sky blue? Again, legit. Probably worried, wondered about that. Probably kids have typed that in more than anybody else for a science project. Here's the third one. Why are you always lying? <laughs> I thought that was fake. Yes, it is. It is a song, which I've never heard about. And I saw that. I'm like, what? Where's the verb? There's a verb that's missing there, but... But why are you always lying? So it's a song. Didn't listen to it. Maybe you want to go listen to it. Maybe not. I don't know. But, um, but then we got the fourth one here. Now, before we put the fourth one up, I know some of you, you're here, and like in church, there should never be potty humor. So I didn't, I didn't make this up. This is based on data. Question number four, why is my poop green? And you're laughing because you typed that in before, Right? It's called green dye. Here we go. Number five, why are cats afraid of cucumbers? Maybe you've seen some of those videos before. This past week, I went out and bought a cucumber farm just because of the, reading that right there. So why are cats afraid of cucumbers? These are why questions, and these are the top five why questions according to Google search, which I don't know what that says about humanity, but it's there. Again, we're in this series, it's this question mark, and we're asking these pertinent questions. You saw that in the, the bumper just a few moments ago. Um, last week, as we began this series, we talked about, why am I here? And in fact, if you go and you look, you find that's the, the biggest philosophical question that people have. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What is the meaning for my life? What is my purpose? And so last week, we, we talked about, it's not about survival, it's not about success, it's about significance. And we said, God has created us in a certain way. He's, he's shaped us. And so we talked about our shape and, and we're who we are because God has shaped us in that way. And so we chatted through that. This week's message actually sort of piggybacks on that. And last week it was, why am I here? And then the question I think that we ask ourselves thinking about that is, is why would God use me? So if God has created me in this particular way, then why would God use me? I mean, doesn't God know the kind of person I am? See, here, here's what we've done, especially in the church. We, we look around. In fact, if you look around right now, the people sitting around you, you, you probably see them and you're like, man, they're better looking than me. And maybe they're a little fitter and they're healthier and they're more intelligent. And, and maybe they're the type of people that you know and you have a conversation with them. And as you're talking to them, they're just, man, they're just spitting out verses from the Bible like crazy. You're like, I didn't even know that was in there. And so we hear this and we think, that's the person that God is going to use. And so we've kind of checked out. We're like, God will never use me. I ain't that smart. I didn't go to seminary. I think I know what John 3.16 says. That's about it. And so we think, I don't have the ability to do this. I am not like other people. Here's the deal. When you look at Scripture, what you will find over and over and over again is that God usually doesn't use the people that we would pick to use. God uses normal people like you and like me. Those are the people that God uses. 
In fact, if we look in Scripture, we see it all over the place. Uh, one of my favorite stories, um, people in Scripture, is a guy named Gideon. some point in time, we'll do a, a series on Gideon because uh, it's just an incredible, incredible uh, story. But as we look at Gideon, the first time we meet him, he's hiding. And in fact, all the Israelites are hiding. They're hiding up in the valleys and the mountains because the Midianites have taken over their land and the Midianites are down in this valley. And so Gideon's hiding. Like, he's hiding so much, he's in a wine press. And he's hiding, he's afraid, he doesn't want to get caught. And this angel of the Lord comes and says to Gideon, and in fact, he calls him this mighty warrior. He says, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. That's a pretty cool way to start a conversation, right? And Gideon's response wasn't, thank you. Wow, I never thought about that before. His response was, where's God? I mean, does God not know what's happening here? Does God not see all the pain that we're going through? Why aren't miracles taking place? Why doesn't God do anything about this situation? And instead of embarking on this conversation with Gideon about what he had just brought up, this angel, God, has, has this other conversation with Gideon. And we, we see a piece of this in Judges chapter 6, verse 14. It says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. God tells Gideon, he's like, hey, Gideon, I've chosen you. And now it's time for you to go and save the Israelites. Here is Gideon's response in verse 15. It says, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Instead of saying, okay, God, I'll do exactly what you've just asked me to do. He comes in and says, do you know much about me? I mean, my tribe's not that great, right? Nobody can even say her name. Um, my clan in that tribe is the weakest. My family in that clan in that tribe is the weakest. And oh, by the way, out of all those people, I'm the weakest person. I'm the weakest link. He looked at himself and thought, I'm not the person you should choose. There's probably a thousand other people that you should choose. And God says, no, I, I've chosen you. You're the one who's going to do this. And God does just that. Gideon finally gives in to what God requests of him. He follows God's leading. And with 300 men, Gideon and the Israelites are able to take back their land. And every time I read that story, every time I hear the events of, of Gideon's life, all I can think about is Gideon was normal. Gideon was like me. And Gideon is like you. And God said, I can use normal. And God does that throughout Scripture. As we think about ourselves, as we think about our abilities and how God has shaped us and, and gifted us, and we think about that question of why would God use me, there's probably some, some things that make us hesitate before we take those steps of following God. And, and I'm going to share a few of those with you this morning. The first one is God uses the insecure. God uses the insecure. Every single one of us in this room is insecure. Even if you're a narcissist and you're in here today, your narcissism comes from your insecurities, right? Just kind of builds up. You try to hide it. But, but that's what we do. We, we hide that insecurity. Some of us, it's, it's on our sleeves. We, we wear like a badge of honor. But we're all insecure. A, a lot of this comes from growing up. Dr. Lisa Firestone wrote a book, Conquering Your uh, Critical Inner Voice, and in it, she describes how we get to this place of being people who think negatively all the time. She said, it begins with, as a kid, you know, we hear negative words come back to us. Um, 
We just finished a series called Me and My Big Mouth, and we talked about the power of negative words, the power of words in general, but negative words specifically. And so some of us grew up in a home, or we grew up around people who the words that came out of their mouth were always negative about who we were. And so, as you can imagine, we build this library in our mind of, I can't do anything because these people have always told me that. I'm not going to amount to anything because these people have always said this about me. And so part of our critical inner voice comes from that negativity. But she also talks about experiences. That we hear the words that other people say about other people, and we begin to compare ourselves to that individual too. Because we we say, well, if they've said that about them, that they're not smart enough, and I think they're smarter than me, then I'm really not smart. Appearance, this is one of those areas we have to be very, very careful in. Because we'll talk about ourselves, right? We'll look in the mirror or we'll be in a conversation maybe with our spouse or with a friend and our kids are around and they hear us say, man, I'm just not that smart. Or, or I'm just not that pretty. I'm just not, just not that, that good looking. Um, I'll never make enough money. And you know what our kids do? They hear that and they look at you as this parent and they see you in this power role that you're in And they begin to think, well, if my mom says that, my dad says that, my guardian says that, then what does that mean for me? And so what we do, we take all these words and these experiences, and what we do is we we build this critical inner voice, and it stays with us. And I know it stays with us. I struggle with it. You probably struggle with it. It becomes a part of who we are, and it affects everything about us. But see, that negativity then becomes our insecurity. That negativity that we now think about in our minds, it becomes this insecurity. And when it comes to something like God, we think, well, if, if that person feels that way about themselves and their spiritual life, there's no way that God would use someone like me. So we've begun to define our successes or more so our failures based on this critical inner voice. Again, we find this throughout Scripture in the Old Testament story of a guy named Moses. And um, Moses is not the guy that you and I would choose to lead the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt. Not the guy we would have done that. And, and Moses even looked at himself and it's like, God, why me? And so we find this interaction that Moses has with God in Exodus chapter 4. Verse 10, I mean, Moses is a very insecure person. He says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied, and any words get tangled. For the first 40 years of Moses' life, he lives in a palace. I mean, he's got this incredible, amazing life. But then the next 40 years, he's basically living in this wilderness. And if you know much about Moses... Um, he was a murderer. He killed somebody when he lived in Egypt. And then he ran away because of that. So uh, part of that running away, I think, was running from, from God for 40 years. Uh, he, he tells us here he's got this physical speech impediment that he struggles with. And what does God say to him? God says, you are the person that I am going to use to make this happen. You are going to be the person that I am going to use to bring my people out of, of Egypt. And so Moses is kind of struggling with this. But this is what we find in verse 11. It says, Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? 
Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. I think there's this piece here that God's kind of like, hey, Moses, you're right. You wouldn't be the person that most people would choose, but I'm not a human like you. I'm God. Then I can do amazing things. And even in your insecurity, Moses, something amazing is going to take place. Hudson Taylor uh, was 21 years old. This was him at 21. Um, a missionary to China. But at the age of 21, he felt like God was calling him to China and to, to be a missionary there. And at that point in time, I don't think there were many, if any, missionaries to China. And so he goes to China to begin this thing called the China Inland Mission. And over the course of his time there, he was able to raise up about a thousand different missionaries. Uh, he just mentored and poured into and sent them throughout China. Um, 125,000 people in his lifetime were attending the, the churches and the, a part of that mission as he was there. And over the course of his life, about 50,000 people were baptized. Uh, Hudson is one of those guys you look at and you hear that. You're like, man, must have been confident, must have been strong-willed, must have been a strong person. Here's what he said. He said, it seemed to me that God looked over the whole world to find a man who was weak enough to do his work. And when he at last found me, he said, he is weak enough, he'll do. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. God uses the insecure. I read that, and all I see is a man who's very insecure. But what does he say? But God still used me. I was weak, and God still used me. And amazing things happened because of that following of what God was leading him to do. God uses the insecure. But God also uses the unlikely. Some of you in here, you probably follow NFL football. Uh, you know the NFL draft was a few weeks ago. Uh, the very last person who is chosen in that draft is called Mr. Irrelevant. This year was pick number 254. It was a wide receiver out of UCLA. A guy's name was Caleb Wilson. Uh, he was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the reason they call these guys Mr. Irrelevant is because they probably will never be relevant when it comes to NFL football. Uh, the chances of making that team are very, very slim. Uh, I think Ryan Suckup from, uh, I can't remember where he went to school, but uh, his kicker back in 2009 was the last person who was chosen as Mr. Irrelevant, who actually became relevant in, uh, in NFL. You know, we, we hear those people and we think about them, and at least they got drafted, right? I mean, you can at least say that, but, but the chances of them making that team are so slim. I, I think for some of us, we kind of feel the same way. Like, I'm actually Mr. Irrelevant, or I'm Miss Irrelevant, or Mrs. Irrelevant. Like, like God wouldn't use somebody like me. I'm just a person that, that's just normal. I mean, I, I struggle, and I fail, and I, I sin, and I got this thing that is, that's kind of weird about me, and, and this is what I've done in my past, and this is what I think about myself. And so we look at ourselves, and we think, I, I'm so unlikely for God to choose to, to do something. Like, I'm just irrelevant to the rest of the world. And yet what we find again in Scripture is that God uses the most unlikely people. Again, in the Old Testament, we have a prophet. His name is Samuel. And God's like, hey, Samuel, King Saul's not cutting it. Uh, it's time to cut him loose. And so I'm going to send you out to go find this new king. And so he sends him to the house of a guy named Jesse. 
Jesse's got all these boys um, that are a part of his family. And when Samuel gets there, he, he tells Jesse, he's like, hey, Jesse, can you, can you bring out your kids? Because God's going God's gonna to do something. God's got this big deal. God's going to make this new king. And I can imagine as a, as a dad, Jesse's probably like, hey, this is kind of cool, you know, my kids. And, and so they begin to pray them out. And the first kid comes out, right? First kid comes out. And Samuel looks at him, and he's like, this has got to be the guy. In 1 Samuel 16, 6, it says, When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord, Lord's anointed. So here's Samuel. He sees the firstborn. He's like, man, he's, he's tall and he's handsome and he's athletic and he speaks well and he can carry a conversation. He's got strong hands. This has got to be the new king. I know it. And here's what God says to him in verses 6 and 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesse brings all these sons out, and every single one, Samuel's like, this is it. This is the one. God's like, nope. Okay, maybe it's the next one. Oh, look at this guy. Nope, 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 nope. I kind of imagine this distraught prophet head in his hands, sitting on a rock, knees on, or elbows on his knees. He's like, Jesse, can you help a brother out, dude? I mean, God's like sending all these guys. Do you have anybody else? And Jesse's like, yeah, I do. He's like, I got one more kid. He's not here. He's actually working. Let me go bring him in. So they bring in this kid, David, and God's like, that's my guy. Here again, David's not the most likely choice here. He's probably 14 to 16 years old, uh, very little life experience. He, he's been working with sheep his whole life. I mean, that's all he's done was worked with sheep. He probably smelled really bad. Um, but this is who David is. And God looked in David's heart and said, this, this is who I'm going to use. Because again, that's what God does. God uses the unlikely to do amazing things. In 2004, the spring of 2004, this kid, Austin Gutwine, he saw a video from World Vision, and it was talking about the amount of children who were orphaned by their parents who had died because of AIDS. About 2,057 kids every single day in 2004 were, di- or were orphaned because of that terrible disease. So he thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to raise a little bit of money for World Vision. So he said, I'm going to shoot 2,057 free throws on World, or excuse me, on World AIDS Day um, to show my support. So he raised money, raised about $3,000, and he was able to support eight orphans with that money. Most kids would be like, I'm done. You know, I'm going to go play games. I'm going to go hang out. And Austin said, no, here's an opportunity. And so he turned it into Hoops of Hope or Hoops for Hope. And uh, it became this, this international thing. About 40,000 people over 25 countries have raised about $4 million that have gone to hospitals and clinics, uh, schools, anything you can imagine, and, and to help these orphaned kids out. It's an amazing thing if you think about it. Here's the crazy part. As you can tell, Austin's not 54 years old. Um, he's not even 24 years old. He Actually, when he started this, he wasn't even 10 years old. He was 9 years old. God's like, you're unlikely to do this. Everybody else is going to look at you and think you're just a kid, and yet God uses Austin in amazing ways to impact the lives of so many kids. You may look at yourself and think, hey, I'm unlikely to be the person that God would choose, and God would say, 
nope, you're exactly what I'm looking for. So God uses the insecure, God uses the unlikely, and God also uses the broken. God uses the broken. This one's a hard one. As our family has experienced this a couple of times, and and maybe your family or you have experienced brokenness, those are moments where we doubt God, right? We, We really struggle with who God is. Does God even exist? And yet if we allow God to work in that brokenness, incredible things can happen. God can use those experiences that you and I have had to to not only change us, but to change those around us. Those that maybe have experienced the same things that that we've experienced within our own lives, because that's what God does. God uses people who are broken. You probably know Chuck Colson, kind of known as the hatchet man during the Nixon administration, of course, got in trouble with Watergate. And right before he went to jail, he became a follower of Jesus. When he came out of jail, he started something called Prison Fellowship, which has been impacting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of prisoners through trying to help restore them uh, to their communities and to their lives that they had before. But here's what Chuck Colson said. He said, but all at once I recognized, or excuse me, I realized that it was not my success God had used to enable me to help those in this prison or in hundreds of others just like it. My life of success was not what made this morning so glorious. All my achievements meant nothing in God's economy. No, the real legacy of my life was my biggest failure, that I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. He chose the one thing in which I could not glory for his glory. I I hear those words from from Colson, and I, I think about his life, and he had... The things that we would love to have, power, prestige. I mean, he was a very important person here in D.C. He had a title. He had everything. And yet, in his sin, for him, it broke him. And, and, and God could have said, hey, I don't want to do anything with this guy. I mean, look what he's done. But what does God do? God uses someone in their brokenness to impact the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. Maybe the question you and I need to ask is, where are we broken? Because many times I find that in the brokenness and when we allow God to work in our lives in those moments, that's when God truly does amazing things because we have been there. We felt that pain. We've been hurt. Maybe we've carried that burden and God has helped us through that. The question we have to answer is, where are we broken? In the Bible, again, we find this all over the place. Uh, in, um, in Luke chapter 22, um, we read about Peter. Peter was a hardcore follower of Jesus. Basically said, I'm your bodyguard. I'm not going to let anybody hurt you. Anybody comes after you, I will die for you, Jesus. But Jesus gets captured. He gets arrested, right? And, uh, and he's put on trial. And we find in the story, we find Peter's just kind of hovering. He's in all these different places watching what's going on. And people see him there. And so they, they go to him and are like, hey, aren't? Aren't you the guy that was connected to, to Jesus? And here's Peter's response in verse 22 of Luke, or excuse me, chapter 22 of Luke. It says, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. 
Peter's distraught. He's upset. He finally realizes what he's done. He's he's broken. I've said he said I, I'll protect you, Jesus. I'll take care of you. And yet people come up and say, "Hey, were you a part of his little his little band of brothers?" And Peter's like, "No, no, no, no. It wasn't me." And yet, if we look at Peter's life in the book of Acts, he preaches the first morning in front of thousands of people, and three thousand people are like, "We're in." Our lives are changed because of what you've said. Now, how does he get to that place? It's because God has worked in Peter's brokenness. Again, we may look around and we may say, well, God's not going to use me. I'm insecure. I'm an unlikely choice. I'm broken. And God says, no, I want to use you because you, you're normal. You've got what I, I need to make a difference. I've shaped you in this way. Now, here's what I need you to do. Take that first step to find out. Take that first step. It's what we have to do, to take that first step out to find out. And Peter does that. We talked about this during our H2O series where Peter steps out of the water. He says, hey, Jesus, can I come to you? And Jesus is like, yeah, come on out. So Peter takes that first step of faith, and he walks on the water. For some of us, that's where we've got to go. We, we may see ourselves as unlikely or insecure or broken. And Jesus is like, just take that first step. And I'll show you where you need to go. Ten years ago, we, uh, my family lived here. We lived over in uh, Haymarket. And um, a family came when we launched a campus out there for New Life Christian Church, which is actually a daughter church of the journey. And so we started this campus. We sent out a bunch of, of mailers, uh, postcards, and uh, lots of new people showed up that first day. And one of the couples that showed up were the Chadwick family. They... Um, they had been to church, I think, since they were kids. They, they didn't go to church I- anywhere. They got this, these cards, and they said, we're just going to try this out. So they came to our church. They stuck around. They actually became ba- baptized. I baptized both of them. And, um, and, and their lives began to change. God was doing something pretty incredible. Kimberly, the wife, was a partner in a civil, civil litigation firm here in Fairfax, um, and she had moved up from clerk all the way to a partner, doing amazing work, had a great reputation, making a ton of money. But she, she thought, but something more is here. I, I'm missing something. And so she started to work for a volunteer for her CASA. When she had some spare time, she became a child advocate. And that really began to change her. And I think that was that first step that she took to really, truly follow uh, what Jesus had in store for her, what God had in store for her. In 2008, she quit her very prestigious job and opened up her own practice as a, a child custody attorney. They don't make a whole lot of money. Very different than what she was doing before. And she didn't share everything, but in conversations... She would tell bits and pieces of some of the things these kids were going through here in Fairfax County, Prince William County, Loudoun County. And it was like, wow. And this is what you're doing with your life. She said, this is what I feel like I'm called to do. 2009, she was reading articles about things that were happening in Detroit. Um, I know it's tough there now. It was tough then. And she thought, I'm going to travel up to Detroit because there's so much poverty. People are, are hurting I don't know why. I feel like God's calling me just to fly up for a few days to see what's happening. She gets up there, and um, she meets up with a pastor of a church called uh, Mac Avenue Community Church. And through their conversations, he's like, we're trying to kind of change this section here of Detroit. And she said, well, what would happen if we started a free legal service here? And he was like, let's do it. 
And so now she helped run. She's still here in this area, still is uh, a child custody attorney. But in her free free time, she still helps run, helps, still helps run this, this free service to, to mostly black families who have just been taken advantage of. She, she has come in, and they are making a difference in that neighborhood there in Detroit. Now, if you asked her when she first started coming to our church, hey, what do you think God has in store for you in the future? She'd say, probably nothing. I mean, why would God choose somebody like me to do something amazing? But you know what she did? She took that first step out. And she found out that God had something in store for her. And here she is today, still impacting and transforming lives over and over and over again. Because she was willing to take that step. My question for us today is, what step are you willing to take? Maybe it's to start that nonprofit. Maybe it's just to walk across the street and have a conversation with your, your neighbor. Maybe there's a bunch of kids out playing and shooting basketball. Maybe, maybe that's where it is. I, I don't know where it may be for, for you. But what I can say is that God wants to use you. And God wants to use me. And we may be insecure. We may be unlikely choices. And, and we may be broken. But God says, those are the people I love to use. It's not who you think I would choose. But you've got to be willing to step out to find out where God is leading us. And we've got to be willing to do that.